This episode of the Model Railway Show is made possible with the support of the ON30 Annual. As the publication dedicated to O-Scale narrow-gauge model railroading, you'll find exclusive features and photos in the ON30 Annual from Karsten's Publications. This is the Model Railway Show. I'm Trevor Marshall. And I'm Jim Martin. Ours is the little show with big ideas. You bet, Jim. And those big ideas come from our special guests, the innovators and hard workers who keep our hobby moving forward. Later on, we'll be sharing some ideas of special interest to club layout operators. Brandon Baer will speak of the challenges of finding new digs when the lease expires, and he'll share some strategies for minimizing the impact of future layout moves. First, though, if you want to keep the hobby of model railroading from growing stale, why not immerse yourself in new environments? Traveling to a different city to learn modeling techniques from the hobby's top practitioners is a good way to reinvigorate oneself. A prototype modeler's meet is a great way to snap you out of the doldrums and meet your hobby heroes. Trevor's guest is an empresario of RPM Meets. He has now added a highly respected name to his playbill and changed it. Here's Trevor. Jim and I are fans of prototype modelers' meets. These get-togethers range from a day-long session with two dozen modelers to two, three, or four-day conventions that attract hundreds. But one thing unites them, a winning combination of high-quality modeling and knowledgeable attendees who are more than willing to share what they know. Tips, techniques, historical information, all this and more make for a great social gathering and a great learning opportunity. There are many prototype modelers meets across North America, and we'll have a list to some of the ones with a web presence on our website so you can plan to attend one soon. But of all the meets, the big one, at least in my experience, has been the Sunshine Meet, held each year in October in Illinois. When the organizer, Martin Lofton of Sunshine Models, announced his plan to retire, there was some concern about the future of the meet. But that concern was fleeting because last year's meet was presented by its new organizer, Joe D'Elia. Joe is no stranger to prototype modeling conventions. He's one of the RPM movement's founders and has organized several meets over the years, including the highly regarded RPM West event in San Bernardino, California. Like Martin Lofton, Joe is also a manufacturer as the owner of A-Line, ProtoPower West, and New Rail Models. For 2011, the Sunshine Meet has a new name and a new venue. And to tell us about it, I'm pleased to welcome Joe D'Elia to the Model Railway Show. Thanks for joining us, Joe. Well, thanks for having me. I'm uh, looking forward to this interview. First, much credit for the Sunshine Meet goes to the original organizer, Martin Lofton. For those who don't know the story, how did this meet get started? Well, what I did was I talked to Martin, actually called up Martin to get the straight scoop on it. And what he had told me that originally his uh, intention was to sell product, obviously, because he makes resin kits. One of the large areas was the Chicago area. So he decided to put together a function to basically sell his kits. And in the early days, it still had the makeup of having seminars and speakers and vendors. But it started off very small, and then it just happened to morph and grow over the years. So uh, as more people came, more people enjoyed, then the, the ball started rolling and the snowball got bigger and bigger and bigger. So after 18 years, here's what you have. You have this event that has been growing and uh, flourishing for that period of time. Now, how did you end up taking over the organization of the meet? Can you tell me about the transition? Yeah, well, when Martin decided to retire, basically, a good friend of mine and Martin's, a gentleman that makes uh, patterns for him, Charlie Slater, informed me 
that Martin was planning on retiring. So I thought, oh, this is, might be a good opportunity for me to, you know, to get more involved and basically run a, an event that has a lot of momentum to it. So I contacted Martin. There were some other people that were talking to him about running the venue, but after a while, nothing materialized, and I was the only feasible one that was serious and wanted to take it over. So obviously, that's the way it went. I did take it over with his blessing, and the last year was the first year that I actually put on the event totally by myself with no help from Martin or anything. That's basically how the transition went. Now, you already run a number of RPM events, including some important ones on the West Coast of the U.S. Why did you want to add the Illinois event to your calendar? Well, one of the the main reasons I wanted to take the event over, because it's a very prominent meet. It's had a lot of years, like I said, 18 years now, and I didn't want to see that go away. So that's the reason that I thought it was important to keep the meet alive and to basically, since I was running other RPM meets, is have a West Coast and an East Coast meet. Now, there are synergies there must be for you as an organizer of several events for the RPM community. What sort of synergies are going to benefit those who attend the meet in uh, Illinois? Well, I think with running meets, I think you learn from every meet that you put on. And even though a lot of things are the same, there are a lot of things that are unique to each meet. And one of the things that's unique, obviously, is the locality, you know, where the meet is put on. Some meets uh, will attract people from great distances, and some RPM meets are basically put on and done in a local area because people, at least today, don't want to travel great distances or don't have the time or the money. So when you get an event like this where people are coming from distances, it makes the meet a lot more prominent and a lot more important because people are putting out the effort to come to the meet. I guess that's one of the advantages of doing it in the Chicago area. It's so centrally located in Chicago, such a hub for air travel that people can contemplate doing that, whereas you might not get East Coasters going all the way up to California. Exactly. And that's why I didn't want to, you know, not have one or the other meet. In other words, people are not going to travel from the left coast to the East Coast because of the distance and everything. And that's what makes so many of the local RPM meets so important because people will not be able to, for one reason or another, travel. So that's why it's important to have, you know, local meets in, in all different areas. As we're speaking, there's an RPM meet going on in uh, St. Louis, which is, I think is very well attended and very well organized. So like I said, there, at all periods of time, there seems to be something going on uh, around the country, and I would love to see, we're trying to do it on our website, we're trying to list all of the RPM meets that are going on around the country to make people aware of this so they can attend them if they can't come to the Chicago show. There's another great show that's put on in January in uh, Cocoa Beach, Florida, by Mike Brock. So there's a lot of great meets that are being put on that people can take advantage of. And certainly once people go to one, the bug bites and they start going to more and more of them. I know that certainly happened with myself and with uh, some of my colleagues as well. You're calling this the RPM conference. That sounds like more than just a name change. Uh, How are you building on what's already been established as, let's face it, is one of the must-attend annual events for serious hobbyists and prototype modelers? How are you building on that meet now? When you say building on the meet, that's interesting because the meet is pretty well established and I think my goal is obviously is to keep it going but in a form where it is I'm a stickler kind of for trying to organize things and keep things running smoothly so basically there's some fundamental parts of the meet that I want to continue with and then obviously expand on but basically we've got the seminars the vendors that we have we have meals that have speakers that people can attend during the show and also we have a, a great model display room and also 
We have a couple of modular setups in HO and, and N scale. So I think that's basically the basis of the meet. My goal is to make sure that whole thing runs as smoothly as possible so people have a good experience at the meet and want to come back and tell other people. The other thing that I find, in well, the one time I run the meet and previous times that I've been there and people that I've talked to, I'll never forget the gentleman came up to me one day during the meet that I ran and he was very, very serious. And he said to me, you know, one of the main reasons I come to this meet is to get together with friends that I haven't seen for a year. And he said to me, don't mess with it. So that kind of gives you an idea of what people are looking at. And people come to the meet for different reasons. So I've got to be cognizant of that. And I've got to basically uh, work toward that goal. You know, the old saying, you can't make everybody happy. But I'm going to try to make as many people happy as I humanly can, you know, with what we have going. Are there any areas where you see you can improve things in terms of, you know, whether it's the registration process or stuff that happens at the event or follow-up afterwards? Or I think running meets is a constant process. I don't think that anybody can come in and run a meet and it can be perfect every single Single time because there's so many different factors involved. Like for example, you know, we lost our our main hotel and I had to go to a new hotel. So there's always things coming up, and I think what's important for people who put on events is to be aware of what is going on and try to keep on top of just about everything. It's a very uphill process. It just takes a lot of time and effort. As far as registration, that's something that I'm constantly tweaking and adjusting. That the way I take care of clinicians because we have 50 clinicians or more that we are dealing with and I have a special sheet that I made up that asks specific questions about you know are you sharing laptops because we have digital and we have slide and I mean there's so many different factors to just taking care of the clinicians keeping the schedules moving making sure that they show up for their seminars to me it's a constant thing in flux what you're always trying to do is you're trying to try things weed out the bad and come up with better solutions that make things uh, smoother and easier and more understandable for people and keep people knowledgeable about what's going on at the meet and informed. I think that's another big goal I have. It's kind of like putting together a podcast. I can tell you that from experience. How does the size of the RPM conference compare to other RPM meets that you organize? And is there anything unique that you have to do with this event in order to manage all of that? Actually, you know, I had kind of a philosophy about that. The thing I've always told people, it doesn't take me any more work to do an event for 100 people as it does 500 people. So it's an incremental increase then. Yeah. And now it should be noted that this year's event is in a new venue. You mentioned that earlier, that the traditional location in Naperville is undergoing renovations, I think it is this year. Why did you pick the Hickory Ridge Marriott in Lyle, Illinois? Well, first of all, I wanted to keep the event basically in the same proximity as the old event, and Naperville and Lyle have to be right next door to each other. I did fly out to Chicago and tour a couple of other hotels, some that were closer to downtown Chicago, and I just didn't feel comfortable being that close to the city. Everything is higher as you get closer to the city, the room rates, the taxes, just getting around in the city seems to be more of a problem. The Hickory Ridge happens to be in a great setting. It's back off the street and it's in a great wooded area. So it's very, to me, very relaxing and you don't hear freeway noise and things like that. So it's kind of like everybody will be going almost like to a little retreat and you're kind of separated from everything and you can just really immerse yourself in the event and not really have to go anywhere or do anything. Everything's right there. Now, on a personal note, you've been involved 
in the RPM movement for a long time. What is it that you enjoy about prototype modelers, Meets? To me, I enjoy seeing the models. That's one of the things I really enjoy. The other thing is learning from people, their experiences and how they've built models and things like that, and also going to the seminars and getting the knowledge and information from the seminars that I can take back to my modeling or my layout or whatever. The other thing I think that is very important is getting together with people who are like-minded. The people I've run through over the years are just a fountain of knowledge and information, and it just sometimes boggles my mind the amount of knowledge some of these people have in, in certain areas. And getting together with them is just really great. And the other thing is meeting new people is great, and also your old acquaintance and an old friend seeing them, because most of us, you know, we're so busy with our lives during the years, we don't get a chance to see friends and visit and talk. So I think people really look forward to that, and that's something I really enjoy, too. I'd have to agree with you there, too. I know one of the things I really enjoy is being able to put faces to the names that I mm-hmm. see on emails mm-hmm. and news groups. And, and you're right, it is sometimes the only chance in the year that you get to catch up with all these people and actually sit down and have a cold adult beverage with them. So, right. Well, that's great. I hope it goes well this year, and I know you'll be busy with it, but that you do get lots of time to talk to people at the meet in Lyle, Illinois. Uh, Joe, thanks for joining us today on the Model Railway Show. It's been a pleasure having you here. Well, thank you. I appreciate you taking the time. Joe D'Elia is the organizer of the RPM Conference, formerly known as the Sunshine Meet. This year's event will be held October 20th to 22nd in Lyle, Illinois. Thanks, guys. I've become hooked on Naperville, and I'm looking for continued excellence at Lyle as well. I'm sure they're going to get it, too. You know, it's been a great meet to go to. I've been there a couple of times. I know some people go every year, and they've been right from the very start. I'm a newbie. I've only done it twice. I'm hooked. I'm going to miss it this year. I'm going to Train Fest in Milwaukee. Oh, well, good. Which is going to be another fun road trip. But, you know, there's only so much in the coffers. And I'm going to miss it this year as well because it falls right on my anniversary weekend, and I know where my priorities are. (laughs) Oh, yes, indeed. Well, Joe, good luck with this. Excellent effort. Yeah, I think so. Now, speaking of excellent efforts, if you want to see some excellent efforts, you should check out our Flickr gallery, and you can find links for that on our website, themodelrailwayshow.com. And reminder, the best way to listen to the show is by signing up for a free podcast subscription. You can find us on iTunes, podcast.com, and podfeed.net. You'll never miss an episode. Now... Modular standards have made it possible for clubs to quickly assemble large layouts in temporary settings. Still, it's hard to match the allure of a large, permanent, bespoke layout in its own setting. Many enormous and enormously impressive layouts have been constructed, and some have lasted a half century or more in the same location. But if there's a landlord, there's always the risk of eviction, as our next guest knows all too well. Here's Jim. General Motors survived because people said it was too big to fail. Unfortunately, in the world of club layout, size is no guarantee against the fickle finger of fortune. The Montreal Railroad Modelers Association is currently faced with tearing down their masterpiece, a 38-year-old club layout that at 6,000 square feet is reputed to be one of the largest in Canada. Their landlord, Canadian National Railways, owns the warehouse that houses the layout and wants to lease it out to higher-rent tenants. That's an oft-told story, I'm sure. Well, the club expects to hold one final open house this October. Now, understand CN isn't the villain here. They provided low-rent accommodations for many years and gave the club five years' notice. Now, at this point, we probably could be talking to one of the club's spokesmen in Montreal, but we figure they have enough on their plate right now, so instead we thought it might be useful to take a look at the experience of another club that in recent years 
years went through the same dislocation, albeit with a lot less notice. With us now is Brandon Baer, president of the HO Model Engineers Society in Hamilton, Ontario. Locally, their club is known as the Holmes Club. Well, hi, Brandon, and welcome to the Model Railway Show. Thanks, Jim. You must be feeling a special kinship right now to your Montreal counterparts. Have you been talking it up with the other club members at all? Yes, yeah, we've been there uh, several times, in fact. It's pretty gut-wrenching to look at all that work and all you've accomplished and know that it's going in the dumpster. This has happened to you more than once, then? It has. We're actually currently on, depending on your definitions, either our sixth or seventh club layout. Oh, my God, I had no idea. Uh, So how long have you been doing this nomadic permanent layout of yours? The club started in 1948. There was already an O-scale club in Hamilton well before that. Holmes was a bunch of guys that were working in this new small scale. They started off meeting in members' homes. The first actual layout was started in 1953, so that's, uh, I guess, 58 years that we've built six or seven layouts. The club evolved over the years through the multiple locations. At first, I gather most of the guys were focused just on building models and, you know, scratch building steam engines, that sort of thing. And they wanted a club layout as a place to display their handiwork. I'm most familiar with your previous location. That was in the basement of a large supermarket. How did that arrangement come about, and, and how long did that last? We've actually been in the basement of the former supermarkets twice now at the Delta and, and Stony Creek, which is the one that you know. In 1980, we had a 20-year-old layout at Booth Hobbies, and it was finished. And it was, I think, some of the guys were actually starting to drift off or lose interest. It was a completed layout. It was nice to run it, but there wasn't really much work to do on it. And building is, of course, part of the hobby. So there was some discussion about rebuilding the layout and what to do, and then it turned out that they, they were going to be facing a big rent increase. At that point, someone in the club had a connection with the owner of the Delta Bingo, and the Delta Bingo was renting an old Loblaws store. They didn't need their basement, so we came to a, an agreement with them. The rent was nominal or even free for a while, I think, in, in exchange for us using the basement and making some repairs and fixing up the building and helping them out in, in various ways. Uh, we were there for 16 years. In 1996, Loblaws wanted their building back. It's now a no-frills, and so the bingo had to move, and so did we. That's when we ended up at this old Skyway Plaza, which was also the basement of the former grocery store. The owners had called us. The, the Delta layout was pretty well known, so I guess the owner saw an opportunity here. But after 10 years in that location, there was a change of ownership, and that deal came to an end as well. If I hear you correctly, you're saying that some of these dislocations perhaps actually came at an opportune time for the club, but it had gotten to a certain state of completion and things were feeling stale? Well, certainly the booth, we made the decision. I wasn't in the club at that time, and I really admired the guys who were, because I think that's a tough decision to take a 20-year-old layout that was a completed, finished masterpiece and tear it down. The Delta one was not the club's decision, although in retrospect, it may have been at a good time because it was practically finished. It was, for all practical purposes, that was also a finished layout, and perhaps if they'd been there a few years longer, it would have gone stale as well. So what was the reaction of the club members when they got the latest eviction notice? Oh, shock, anger, disbelief, denial, depression. You know, it sounds like you're, we're talking about a funeral here. Well, yeah. Uh, the, the usual things that people tell you about uh, the stages you go through, but also hope that we could fix some things that hadn't worked. You know, there's always, no matter how nice your layout is, there's always ways to make it better. And the finished parts and all that was beautiful to look at, but it had some operational issues, we'll say, inherent in the design. And it was maybe too big for the size of the and age of our membership. It was just a bit overwhelming. You'd walk in on a work night and see this huge unfinished face and think we'll never get this done. Well, I have seen it in person. I can tell our listeners, Brandon, the 
former home's layout was large, also beautifully crafted in the uh, completed areas of the scenery. We'll just remind our listeners they can find some photos of it on the link connected to this interview. I'm wondering, was that layout, in light of what had gone before you, was the previous layout built to come apart easily? No, it really wasn't. I think there had been some discussion about it in the early days, and the the benchwork sections were built on sort of large box sections that could be disassembled. But as we moved up through track and wiring and scenery, that idea got lost. It takes a lot of self-discipline to keep with the movable concept because it makes some things more difficult and it's just other things it makes just different than what you're used to doing. If you get 20-plus guys working on it for a decade, people take shortcuts or they just forget. And before you know it, you've got this one big seamless mass that doesn't come apart without major damage. So what are you doing now? Are you trying again to make it sectional in case you have to move? Yeah, this time I think the message finally got through. Uh, you hit us on the head with the log enough times and, and we figure it out. Uh, we're being quite rigorous about maintaining a sectional sort of approach. Uh, it's not modular, but we have adapted some ideas from the modular groups and modular concepts, and we've also adapted, we've used the David Barrow domino theory as one of our inspirations. Where would you use the domino theory? In staging well, areas, for example? I mean, our basic benchwork structure are like the David Barrow dominoes. You know, that's the basic thing. And the way he does his wiring and so forth, not as elaborate for moving as a modular group has to be, because it's not designed to be portable. It's designed to be movable with effort. The idea being that most of the sections are eight feet long, and the wiring, well, we're not using plugs and connectors at the end. We have tried to keep the section self-contained enough so that at the end, if we have to move, we can snip off at the ends and then run jumpers to reconnect. Indeed. Terminal blocks are pretty cheap to buy. Yeah, we actually make our own terminal blocks. Well, there you go. So any guarantees on that? You're now in, uh, I want to say, the Robert Land. Uh, I'm I'm incorrect in that, am I? Well, yeah, it confuses us. I call it the Robert Land Community Center. That's what it was when we first met them. They've since had a donation or two and some things. It's now the Eva Rothwell Resource Center at Robert Land. And that's where my confusion arises. I've got a good friend who's the uh, headmaster at Robert Land. And I know it's not there anymore. Anyway, so how long do you think you're going to be able to stay there? Well, we certainly hope we can stay for a long time. There's really no guarantees. But at least with an institution like a community center, we don't have to worry about the landlord deciding to redevelop the property. On the other hand, the center is pretty hand-to-mouth. They could lose their funding and have to shut down. Or they could just decide that they need more rent than we can afford to pay. Uh, You know, We just barely cover the rent with our dues at at the moment. And our membership isn't young. We could lose a few guys to retirement and uh, we could be in trouble. So it's you know, in the long term, there are no permanent guarantees. No, indeed. In light of all the earlier experiences, uh, did the uh, issue of buying your own building ever come up as an option? It was discussed briefly. didn't ever really seem to be a practical option. Owning real estate has its own downsides for a club. It's maintenance and utilities and taxes. a major obligation that would have to take precedence over building a layout. Did the dislocation at any time ever cost you any club members, or conversely, did it uh, help make the membership stronger? Oddly enough, I think we did gain some more members. I, we didn't lose anybody because of the move, and, and we've got quite a few new members in the, during the process and immediately after the move. So, if anything, I think it was positive. For people considering starting up their own model railroad clubs, uh, short of buying their own building then, which I suppose is really the only guarantee they'll have a secure future, what planning considerations should they address? Well, I think modular or sectional concepts are definitely a way in the future, one of the ways
studies of the future. Unless you have some sort of formal association with a museum or some kind of institution like that, being prepared to move right from the beginning of planning is important. You don't have to actually go with FREMO or NTRAC or any of those things, but there's lots of sets of standards for mobility out there and a lot of good ideas that you can adapt to your own purposes to come up with a layout that you can actually move every 10 years, say, without having to start all over. The thing I'd say mm -hmm. is about it is to keep positive about moving. And just think of it as an opportunity for renewal and plan for it. like that last phrase, an opportunity for renewal. Any thoughts on how to keep uh, members interested when no layout exists in that period between layouts? So what do you do to keep the, the interest up? That's been a real challenge. I think there have to be one or two people who are running things who really concentrate on keeping everybody involved and busy. What I'm saying is leadership has to keep up the membership involved rather than just doing everything themselves. The members have to feel that this planning, that they're part of the planning, that they're part of the decision-making process of where you're going with the layout. And then as you go through the layout, you have to be sure that you keep everybody involved. And there's, there's multiple jobs that you need to don't let anybody kind of sit on the sidelines because, you know, there are people who come in and just by their nature who come in and get busy with whatever. But there's others who are a little shy to do that and, and they just need somebody to say, hey, you, come here, help with this, you know. And I think it's important that you do that because if they come down and don't know what they're going to be doing on Tuesday night, you know, next week they might find something else they'd rather do. Well, Brandon, you and your fellow Homes Club members have uh, worked your way back in an extraordinarily short time. Congratulations, and we wish you a long stay in your current location, and thanks for being with us today. Thank you, Jim. I enjoyed talking to you. Thanks, guys. You know, I'm really impressed with how quickly the Holmes Group has rebounded, but as your interview showed, Jim, they have had practice. Well, too much practice, I'd say, but hats off to the group for keeping their focus, and good luck to the Montreal Club with their pending move. Well, that wraps up another edition of the Model Railway Show. Be sure to keep listening and share the downloads with your friends. We're the little podcast that wants a bigger audience. Next time out, we're headed to the Railroad Retirees' home. Our guests, Alan Keller of Great Model Railroad's video fame and Andy Sperandio of Model Railroad magazine will talk about their retirement plans. No retirement plans, however, for our backstage crew. Thanks, as always, to Chris Abbott for his technical direction, Otto Vondrack for the web entanglement, and Dave Woodhead for bookending the show with his bouncing melodies. Till next time, I'm Jim Martin. And I'm Trevor Marshall. So long, everyone. Thank you.